We did it, y'all. Last performance RX podcast for 2022, at least. <laughs> it's been a year. Let's close it out right. Welcome to the Performance RX podcast, where the conversations are about health, nutrition, and mindset for anyone who considers themselves an athlete. From the most elite competitors to those who are simply seeking to improve their athletic performance, we hope the knowledge shared on this show will empower you to reach your physical potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now for today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Bridget Maroney. Man, I can't believe... We are already at the end of the year, the end of 2022. There is so much for me to talk about with you all, including what's going to be coming to the Performance RX podcast next year in 2023. But before we get into that, let's talk about the main focus of this show, and that is one last bit of listener Q&A. So I put out a request on social media for people to send in their best fitness, health, nutrition, supplement, et cetera, et cetera, questions. And boy, did you all deliver. So we've got some very, very interesting questions that I think will be very useful to a lot of people. So let's get started. First question. I love this question because I think it's something that a lot of people probably struggle with. And it's also something that a lot of people who are struggling with are doing the wrong things to mitigate. So here's the question. I have an energy slump reliably from 2 to 5 p.m. What could I eat for lunch that won't make me so sleepy or time my eating differently? So the first thing I would say about this question is that what you're experiencing is normal. And I don't just mean, oh, everyone has an afternoon slump normal, although they do. But what I mean by that is it's part of your biology normal. In other words, if you came to me and said, I start to get really tired around 10 p.m. to midnight and feel like I need to go to sleep for eight hours, I'd be like, yeah, that's normal. And the same goes for this. So a lot of people don't realize when it comes to our circadian rhythm, there's actually a couple of peaks and valleys throughout our 24-hour cycle. So when people think about the circadian rhythm or their sleep cycle, they have this misconception that we're supposed to be asleep from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., let's say, and then just wide awake for the entire day. But that's actually not the case. We as humans have actually evolved to have a morning peak and then an afternoon dip and then an evening peak and then a nighttime dip where we stay asleep for seven to nine hours. And just a quick side note for people who are night owls and everything else like that saying like, well, that's not me. There is some nuance for individuals, just like anything in our biology. There's no one size fits all rule. But for the vast majority of the population, most of us are on this type of circadian rhythm. So again, we have a peak in the morning, then it kind of goes down a little bit in the afternoon, just after lunch, then it rises again in the evening around five to six. And then in the evening, we relax, we go to bed, rinse, repeat. So I think this is valuable to bring up because in my opinion, it's helpful to know that this is a natural part of your body's cycle. And so it makes it less stressful or less worrisome in trying to uh, solve this issue. You're not just going to sit there and beat yourself up because you have a natural afternoon slump. However, I totally get and recognize and appreciate that you may not want to feel tired. 
between 2 and 5 p.m. It may not be useful. I completely agree. There's definitely a lot of things that I enjoy doing in the afternoon and feeling tired and sluggish is not really useful for that. So let's talk about what you can do that won't make you so sleepy. And I'm just going to say right now, what you eat is probably the last thing I would look at. So let's talk about what you can do to work with your natural cycle. So completely agree. I think the timing of everything, not just your food, not just when you eat, but your timing of your whole day could be looked at to optimize these peaks and valleys. So first things first, just looking at your natural energy cycles, a lot of people recommend, myself included, recommend doing some more of your creative, higher order thinking tasks in the morning. Because again, as I just mentioned, you have that peak in the morning, that peak of energy. You're fresh. You just came off of a eight hour sleep. So you're going to be able to do some of those more challenging tasks in the morning. And we're also more creative and productive then. So if you're not already doing that, definitely see if you can arrange your schedule so that you get more of those tasks done. So on the opposite end, some things that you could do as far as your work schedule is maybe leave some of the more mundane tasks or collaborative tasks where you're around other people and feeling engaged for the afternoon. So again, that will help with the slump or if you're feeling sluggish, your important tasks are already taken care of and therefore not as big of an issue or a struggle to get through. Other things you can do to bring up your energy in the afternoon is after lunch, getting some sort of natural light exposure. And there's studies that have been done on this, but basically getting that natural sunlight so you could go and eat outside or eat by a window or eat inside your office or your home and then just go for a walk, that's going to help you feel more alert and improve your mood and all of the other health biomarkers, including your blood glucose levels. Studies have been shown that walking after meals helps with that. But that's another thing that you could do to feel more alert in the afternoon after you eat. Another option, if it is an option for you and something that you want to do, is simply take a nap. This is especially true if you're sleep deprived. So let's say that maybe you didn't get seven to nine hours of sleep the other night. And that is the reason why or one of the reasons why you're feeling really sluggish in the afternoon. Well, if you have the opportunity to take a nap for however long in the afternoon, I would recommend taking advantage of it. And studies have shown that taking afternoon naps is a great way to pay back your sleep debt and decrease your sleep need. So if a big reason why you're feeling sluggish in the afternoon is because you're sleep deprived, then definitely taking a nap to catch up on your sleep and then looking at your overall quality of sleep throughout the night will definitely help with that. And then the last thing is looking at what you eat. So like I said, I probably wouldn't start with that. I'd probably look at how much sleep you're getting and if you're sleep deprived and then maybe trying to balance your schedule in other ways to meet these natural rhythms. But eating does play a part in this. So this is where you get people who are keto advocates or intermittent fasting advocates because they say things like, oh, you know, your blood sugar remains stable and you don't have these crashes and everything else like that. So even though it is natural, it is part of your natural circadian rhythm to have a slump in the afternoon, it can be exacerbated by what you eat. So you could do a couple of things. One is you could just eat a lighter lunch. 
This is something that I did just incidentally because in the afternoon is when I do my training and I don't like a full stomach when I train. So I started having lighter lunches. And as a result, I noticed that my afternoon slump wasn't as severe. So you could do that. You could have a lighter lunch. You could also have a lighter lunch and maybe limit your carbohydrate consumption. So like I said, a lot of the keto advocates and everything else like that talk about your blood sugar. Carbohydrates do increase your serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter which promotes relaxation and sleepiness. So that is something that you could play around with. I'm not saying that you have to go full keto or do any sort of intermittent fasting, but if you wanted to see how your food affects your energy level in the afternoon, I would try those two things. But yeah, just know it is totally normal. It doesn't mean that you have to sit there and be like, well, I guess I'm going to be sleepy for the rest of my life because there are some things that you can do to make yourself more alert, including getting that natural sunlight in the morning and throughout the day to keep you alert. And then, yeah, play around with your work schedule, take a nap if you want to and if you really need to. And then, yeah, maybe a lighter lunch could help you feel less sluggish because eating takes work. Digestion takes work. It makes us tired. On the topic of sleep, here is our next question. I have difficulty sleeping recently. I can't sleep at all at night. How can I improve my night's sleep? So the first thing I'm going to say is if you haven't already, definitely go back and listen to episode 12 of the Performance Rx podcast on hacking your sleep. In that episode, I talk all about the importance of sleep. Then I also give an outline of how you can take some steps to get better sleep. But let's go ahead and talk about how to improve your sleep, especially if you're struggling with sleep. A couple of things that you could do, and I'll just start with the ones that have the biggest ROI. And these are things that are pretty simple and you have full control over and don't really cost anything. Might cost you a little bit, but there's no like fancy hacks or supplements or anything else like that. So whether you suffer from vast amounts of stress or not, it is still very important for you to do some sort of wind down or calming down activities before getting into bed. So this is the first mistake that many people make is they go right from watching TV or Netflix or whatever right into bed and they don't really give themselves a chance to decompress. And I get it. There's a lot of people that work long hours. They have small children. They just want those couple hours to themselves and to kind of zone out, check out whatever, watch something entertaining, but it is taking away from the quality of your sleep. So you don't have to sit there and do a whole hour long yoga flow and light a candle and meditate for 30 minutes. If all you have is 10 minutes, so be it. You have 20 minutes, even better. 30 minutes, great. If you have an hour, that's amazing. But there needs to be some sort of period between whatever you're doing in the evening to getting in bed and closing your eyes where you allow your body to get into its relaxation state. So you hear me talk about this a lot, the parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest so that you can get into that deep 
quality sleep a whole lot better. So some things you can do. First of all, a lot of people advocate for limiting screen time. So turning off your phone, your computer, your your TV 30 minutes before. If you still want to do something, maybe reading a relaxing book could be an option for entertainment. But otherwise, just relax. Do some breathing. If you want to do a short meditation to calm yourself down, some light stretching, something to get you into a relaxation mode. Warm showers or warm baths can help as well. But that's the first step. It's just having some sort of nightly routine where you allow your body and your stress levels to come down to get into more restful sleep. The next thing you need to look at is optimizing your sleep environment. So our modern society does not make it very restful to sleep. There's a lot of lights, there's a lot of electromagnetic waves, a lot of sounds, et cetera, et cetera. If you live in an urban area, it's, it's really hard. So you may not have the ability to turn the noise from the traffic outside off, but what you can do is make your bedroom as quiet and as dark as possible. So the first thing is to look at the lighting in your bedroom. Make sure that obviously when you're asleep, all the lights are off. Even glowing monitors from your cell phone, from an alarm clock, make sure those things are covered and dimmed as much as possible. And then look at your windows. So even though the lights are off in your room, you more than likely probably have some outside light coming in. So getting some some dark out shades and making sure that your windows are covered and your room is as dark as possible will help quite a bit. Next thing you need to do is look at the temperature. So studies have shown that people sleep really well in temperatures that are roughly around 65 degrees Fahrenheit. There are some people who prefer it to be a little bit warmer and more neutral, but the point is you don't want your room too hot because that's going to make it uncomfortable. And again, you're not going to get into deep quality sleep. So those are two simple things to do that can have great effect on your ability to go to sleep and stay to sleep and have quality sleep. Making sure you have some sort of wind down routine to allow your body to de-stress, decompress, and get into a relaxed state. And then optimizing your sleep environment with light, sound, and temperature to make it as restful and relaxing as possible. And there is one more thing that I would mention that you could definitely consider. Talk to your nutritionist, talk to your coach, talk to your doctor about this, but there are some supplements out there that can help and aid with restful sleep. So again, if you haven't already listened to it, go back and listen to episode 11 of the Performance Rx podcast, where I talk about supplements with my friend Christina Hackett. We talk about two supplements in there that help with overall health, but definitely with getting to more restful sleep. One is melatonin and the other is magnesium, especially something like magnesium glycinate. So these are two supplements that studies have shown promote relaxation, promote better quality sleep, and are generally recognized as safe to take. But again, always make sure you check with your doctor and anyone else of that professional for any sort of specific supplement advice for your individual health. The last thing I'll say is if you do end up waking up in the middle of the night because you suffer from insomnia, or if you have an episode of insomnia there, is don't 
fight it. So this is one of the things where people get themselves into a terrible feedback loop when they can't sleep is they wake up in the middle of the night and they start ruminating and stressing and obsessing over the fact that they woke up and they can't sleep. So if you find that this is true for you, the easiest thing to do, the simplest thing to do is to just relax and accept the fact that, oh, I woke up and just sit there and try to keep as calm as possible until you go back to sleep. Sitting there and stressing and obsessing about the fact that you have insomnia is a self-defeating process. All right, moving on from sleep and circadian rhythms and everything else like that, let's talk about fasting. I get this question all the time, but I'll answer it once again because I think it's such an important thing for people to understand. Question is, is it better to do a fasted workout? And the simple answer is no. <laughs> so I guess before I move on with any sort of explanation, I am just going to make the assumption here that when people ask if fasted cardio or a fasted workout is better, quote unquote, they're asking if it's better for fat loss. Um, and the answer is no. So there's actually been studies that have come out pretty recently that show the differences in fat loss between those who did fasted cardio or fasted workouts and those who did it in a fed state. And the simple answer is there was no difference in their overall fat loss. So yes, fasted cardio does make your body burn more fat in the moment of that exercise, but then throughout the day, your body basically compensates for that and you oxidize less fat. Whereas the reverse is true for people who do fed cardio or fed workouts. You're going to burn less fat during the actual exercise, but then throughout the rest of the day, your fat burning potential is up. So at the end of the day, it all cancels itself out. Also something to think about or to point out and think about is there is a difference between fat burning and fat loss. Just because my body is burning fat during a process or an exercise or whatever doesn't necessarily mean it results in fat loss, but that's another conversation for another day. So back to the original question, is it better, I'm assuming, for fat loss or for weight loss to do fasted cardio? The answer is no. And I would also add on to that since this is a podcast that talks a lot about performance, it might actually be worse for you if you have performance goals because, again, the whole point about training for performance is you want to get better at something. And so if you're in a fasted state, you may not have adequate fuel in order to get the right type of training response and therefore progress and results that you want there. So at the very least, it doesn't really matter one way or another if you do fasted or fed cardio or workouts. And at the very worst, fasted workouts can have a negative impact on your progress and performance. Now, I did say that the simple answer was no, and I gave my reasons why, but I'll just say this. There's a little asterisk <laughs> next to the word no. So here's where I would say fasted cardio or fasted workouts are better, and that's when it's what really works for you. So if I had a client where the only time they could do a workout was at 5 a.m., and it's in a fasted state, and that's the only thing that's only going to work for them, then of course it's better because it's better than nothing. So if you are someone where that is the 
only option for you and it doesn't have a negative impact on your health and it doesn't have a negative impact on your performance or your goals, then of course, by all means, keep doing fasted cardio. Don't feel like you have to change it if it doesn't work for you. However, if you are someone who's doing it because you feel like there's some sort of extra benefit and you feel miserable doing it, stop. Eat something simple, eat something light, give yourself some fast digesting carbs and you'll feel much better throughout your workout and it's not going to have a negative impact on any sort of weight loss or body composition goals. All right, moving on. Still on the topic of fasting, we have a two-part question here. Are you supposed to eat a certain amount of protein within a certain time frame after eating? And if so, what about people that intermittent fast and how does that affect them if they don't like to eat until later in the day? Oof. So this is this is tricky um, just because it's going to be, especially that second part of the question, it's going to be very specific to people and their goals, but I'll get into that in a second. So going back to the first part of the question, are you supposed to eat a certain amount of protein within a certain time frame after exercising? So years ago, there were a lot of fitness experts and trainers that came out and supported the idea that we're supposed to have this sort of anabolic window after we work out. And the whole idea was that it was like a very small window. I'm talking like 30 minutes. So if you can imagine, there was a lot of people that were like rushing to get their post-workout protein shakes in immediately after they finished working out, like sweat still dripping off their face, everything else like that. Recent studies have come out where that's not necessarily the case. So if you are someone who prefers to eat a normal meal, and by normal meal, I mean like a whole foods meal. So we're talking whole foods protein, like a piece of chicken or beef or fish or whatever, carbohydrates, healthy fats, vegetables. Research shows that there's no major difference between having a regular meal about an hour or two after your workout than there is to having some sort of quick digesting protein within 30 minutes of working out, especially, and this is the big thing, especially when your overall protein intake for the entire day is met. So for the great majority of people, if you eat a regular meal an hour or so after you work out and you're meeting your protein requirements throughout the day, you are totally fine. As far as how much, a regular amount of protein that you would take in at any meal will do just fine. So for men or for larger individuals, about 40 to 60 grams of protein would be fine. And for women or smaller individuals, between 20 and 30 grams of protein would be fine. Of course, you're more than welcome to eat more than that or less than that based on your own personal preferences, but those are just some general guidelines. Now for the second part of the question, what about people that intermittent fast and how does that affect them if they don't like to eat until later in the day? So I'm making the assumption here that we're talking about morning workouts. And the answer to this is it depends. It depends first of all of when the workout is, what type of workout it is, if we're talking about just some nice steady state cardio, or if you're doing a really intense muscle building session in the gym. Uh, And then also 
what are your goals? Are you trying to lose weight? Are you trying to build muscle? Are you just trying to be overall healthy and fit? There's a lot that goes into it. And I'll just say that really quick also about the general nutrition protocols for pre-workout, intra-workout, and post-workout nutrition is that also depends on your goals and what type of exercise you're doing. But going back to my intermittent fasting example, so, and let me just say this, there are plenty of people out there who intermittent fast and work out in the morning and accomplish all their goals. So it is possible, but it does require a little bit more thought and nuance there and probably working with a nutrition coach so that they can help you navigate some of these questions and really tweak and dial in your nutrition. So just going with the general recommendation for most people that you can eat a couple hours after you work out and there's no problem with it as long as you're eating adequate amount of protein throughout the day. I would say the same applies here for an intermittent faster. So if your goal is just to be generally healthy and you don't have any specific muscle building goals and your workout isn't super duper early, then I would say you're probably fine not worrying about getting in protein or any other nutrients until your first workout. Now, if you're working out at 5 a.m. and your first meal isn't until 1 p.m., that might be a little bit of a stretch there. It might be a little bit difficult. But again, it just kind of depends. If you are someone who is relatively lean and you have certain performance goals and muscle building goals, but you still want to fast, this is where it gets tricky. So as I already mentioned, I don't think that doing fasted workouts, especially when you have performance goals, is a great idea. However, I do get that there are a lot of people who do intermittent fasting as a lifestyle because there's other health benefits that they feel they may get from them. My recommendation is to really kind of cycle on and off. So if you're training, then maybe on that day, you don't don't intermittent fast. You get up, you fuel your body with what it needs for performance, muscle building, whatever it may be, and then you go on throughout your day. And then on your off days, you can go back to intermittent fasting since you're not training. Or studies have shown that it doesn't matter if you intermittent fast in the morning or if you intermittent fast in the evening. So if you are someone who's working out in the morning and you really need to get those nutrients in, then maybe you skip dinner or whatever it is, your time-restricted window or your window of time restriction begins earlier in the evening to allow you to consume more food in the morning around your workouts. Or you can just work out in the evening. My point is, is that for things like muscle building and athletic performance, you want to make sure that you're getting the right type of fuel in your body, which includes protein, but also carbs and healthy fats and everything else like that. So you might have to make some compromises around what days or even time of day you do your fasting. And one thing to point out too, especially when it comes to intermittent fasting and women, especially women who intermittent fast and train, is I want to encourage you to be careful. So intermittent fasting is a form of stress on your body and it's a hormetic stress. So it's it's a stress that can be good, but just like anything, it can be taken too far. And so if 
again, you're doing intermittent fasting for those health effects and building resiliency and things like that. That's great. That's wonderful. But just know you're putting stress on your body. And just like training, you need to be able to recover from it. So again, I would advocate for really paying attention to the intermittent part of intermittent fasting and really consider maybe only intermittent fasting a couple of days a week and then allowing your body to recover and properly fuel itself for other activities. All right, next question. Aging sucks. How do you keep from comparing today's self to 10 years ago self? Oh, man. (laughs) So I definitely can empathize and relate to this question. I just joined the 40s club this year. So I totally get especially the uh, 10 year ago self remark because 10 years ago, I was crushing it in the gym. My body composition was pretty on point. My strength numbers were amazing. Yeah, definitely can relate to looking back at how I was 10 years ago and being like, damn, she was a bad bitch. But here's the thing. Where I am today is an even badder bitch. And yeah, maybe performance is is different in some ways. In some ways it's not. But like so many things, with age comes lessons, comes wisdom, comes grace. And who I was 10 years ago was a lot more insecure, a lot more anxious than who I am today. And so going back to my body composition and my strength numbers and my performance numbers and everything else like that. Yeah. Like I said, maybe in some cases I'm still like crushing it. In some cases, maybe I'm not but I'm having more fun and I'm much more at ease with the process in it. Like, uh, I'll give a recent example. So recently I've gotten back into CrossFit, going to like an actual CrossFit gym and I go in, I look at the workout, I think about what my body needs today and what my body can do for me today. And then I do the workout. Compare that to Bridget 10 years ago. She would go in. She already knew the workout because she had been obsessing about it all day. Side note, I do know what the workout is ahead of time and I like to think about it. So that part hasn't changed. But instead of going in and looking at the workout and being curious about how I'm showing up today and what my body can do, I immediately went over and looked at the scores and the times and the weights of everyone. And my whole motivation for the class that day was how am I going to beat this person? Or how am I going to be better than that person? Or how can I do X, Y, and Z so I look like A, B, and C? And again, admittedly, maybe my times were better than where I am today and this, that, and the other, but just mentally, it wasn't fun. It was stressful. And, you know, just like a lot of people, these are these were people. They still are my friends today, but these were my friends in class. But instead of enjoying their company and being amazed at what they could do, I was so insecure that this person had 10 seconds faster on Helen than me, that that meant that I sucked and I wasn't good enough. And they were better than me, quote unquote, better than me, like as a human being, because they did better on a 
freaking workout, which, you know, it doesn't matter. And that's my point. So going back to where I am today, I go in, I don't even look at the workout times. And if I do, I just look to see like what the average is just to kind of see like how I can show up. But for the most part, I go in, I look at the workout, I talk to my friends, I push myself, but I also have more respect and reverence for my body. So I hope you feel the same. And I hope anyone who is progressing through life and getting older feels the same that with that age comes wisdom, maturity, and hopefully grace. And I'll admit it took me a while. It took me a lot of self-reflection, a lot of doing the work, as people say, to get to this point. But that is one of the benefits of getting older. And I know that's such a cliche old person, quote unquote old person. I don't think I'm an old person, but you know what I mean? Like that's always the cliche that you hear from your parents, grandparents and everything else like that. Just be present. I think that's the biggest struggle for for a lot of us in life. And that's just one of the curses of having a human brain is we have the ability to think to the past and we have the ability to think to the future. But for a lot of us, if you spend too much time on either end of that, you end up with things like anxiety, depression, and everything else like that. And that's kind of the whole point of mindfulness is to be in the present moment because this is the only moment that we're living in, but it's also what's going to make you a lot happier and calm and not stressed because you can't change the past you can't control the future, but you have the moment here. And again, just speaking from personal experience in relation to this question, I think being more present helps with those feelings around aging because I'm not really thinking about where I was in my 20s and my 30s, whatever. And I'm not really worried about what my life's going to be like in my 50s or my 60s. I'm here and I feel like me. So my biggest thing would be trying to develop some sort of mindfulness practice. Overall, it's going to help your life quite a bit, but I think it'll also help with this mindset around aging. All right, last question. I love this question, but I also hate this question. So what are the top three sports everyone should at least try? I love this question because I grew up playing all the sports. Soccer was definitely my main one there, but I also did swimming. I did track. I did flag football, tennis, taekwondo, ultimate frisbee, basically anything that I could try and that my parents would let me try. (laughs) I would do from age kindergarten all the way up to high school, college, and then even beyond. Obviously, I love this question because I played a lot of sports and I think sports are a great activity for anyone. It teaches you so much about life, about working with other people, about relationships, leadership, community, competition, good sportsmanship, all of those good life lessons. And then on top of that, you're being active, you're being healthy and everything else like that. But I hate this question. I don't hate it. I just think it's a really hard question because unlike the other questions that are pretty much objective or somewhat objective and have a lot of data, this is totally subjective. And I feel like if you had asked me this even at different times in my life, I probably would have had different answers. Pretty sure you knew that and that's why you asked that question. So I'm going to answer this to the best of my ability 
And uh, yeah, hopefully it's it inspires some people. So the first sport that I think everyone should at least try is powerlifting. And I'll just put a little asterisk here next to every sport. But when I mean try the sport, I mean participating in the actual sport itself and the training and everything that goes with it. But obviously you don't have to go for any sort of elite performance or in this case of powerlifting elite totals in order to reap the benefits of it. So let me explain. Why powerlifting? Well, if you know anything about me, you know my answer is going to be because it makes you get stronger. And I think everyone can benefit from getting stronger in their life. Now, again, like I said, the degrees of that strength are going to vary for person to person at different stages of their life, especially when it comes to powerlifting. But what is powerlifting? It's a squat, it's a bench press, and it's a deadlift. Those are three fundamental movements that all of us do throughout our lives. And learning those fundamental movements and being able to execute them safely and effectively and building strength around them is so beneficial. Like I said, you don't have to be going for any sort of elite total here to reap the benefits of getting stronger with a squat, a deadlift, and a bench press. I think that alone is just worthwhile. So yeah, powerlifting for sure, and I'll just leave it at that. Second sport that I think everyone should at least try is swimming. Kind of along the same lines that I think everyone could benefit from getting stronger and building strength, especially with the three big lifts. I think swimming is a great form of cardiovascular exercise. What's great about it is it's easy on the joints. It's a total body workout. And again, there's so much that comes from swimming. Obviously, there's the cardiovascular benefits. There's also the endurance benefits, muscular endurance benefits, but also just learning how to breathe. Part of swimming is you hold your breath and then you breathe as you come out of water. And I just feel like being able to manage your lungs and your breath in that way is very beneficial. And being in water just overall, it's just very relaxing if you're not afraid of water, which if you're afraid of water, practicing swimming can help you with that phobia. And as I said, it's easy on the joints. So anytime I've had significant injuries and I've gone to the doctor, and gone through the whole protocol of like, okay, here's the activities you can do and here's the activities you can't do and you have to wait, blah, blah, blah. Swimming has always been on the list of activities that I can do because it's easy on the joints and being in the water and having that cool water and just being weightless for a little bit is very therapeutic and healing, especially when you're injured. So yeah, swimming would definitely be on my list of sports for everyone to try. And the last sport that I think everyone should try is their own preference. I know that is a cop out and that's kind of a non-answer answer, but that's just where my answer is today. I think there are so many different types of sports out there and we are all wired and physically gifted in so many different ways that pick the sport that speaks to you. Pick a sport that you feel physically competent at. I mean, the whole point of playing sports is to get better at it. So I'm not saying that you have to be the best person on the field or on the court the day you step on. But again, we all have different physical gifts, physical attributes and everything else like that. If you are someone who is not physically proficient or physically equipped, to play basketball and you hate playing basketball, don't play basketball. Go find something else. And, you know, 
I think that's especially when it comes to children. There's a lot of that talk and discussion around like, oh, well, my dad played football, so I should play football. Or my mom played tennis and she really wants me to get into it. Like, come on, stop living vicariously through your children. I'm pretty sure that was like a thing of like the 70s and 60s and everything else like that anyway. So if you have children, let them find a sport that speaks to them. And if there's something that you want to try, then try it. And if you don't like it and you hate it, then stop trying it. Don't force yourself to do something you don't like. Life is too short, especially when it comes to our hobbies and sports and things like that. Life is too short to be doing stuff that you don't enjoy. So outside of getting strong and having good cardiovascular endurance from swimming in a non-impact way, I would say the third sport is, is really up to you. That's my cop-out answer, but that's all three. All right, so that is the end of our listener Q&A episode, which is the last episode of 2022. Thank you so much to everyone who sent in questions. I really appreciate your feedback and your curiosity. And thank you to everyone who has listened along the way. Even if this is your first episode, thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you to all my friends and peers and fellow coaches and overall just inspirational people who have been on this podcast. It was truly an honor to have you on this year. I can't wait till next year for more interesting conversations and more topics and more discussions around how to help you perform better in the gym and live a better life outside it. Performance Rx podcast will be back in early 2023. So look for us in January. There's going to be new guests, new experts, new deep dives on all of the topics. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the holiday season. I hope you have an amazing new year. I hope you get out there and you crush your goals. I'm rooting for you. And if you ever need anything, you know where to find me at Aspire2Coaching on Instagram at Aspire2Coaching on TikTok. Shoot me a DM, ask me questions. If you want, my email is info at Aspire2Coaching.com. You can find all of the resources and tips and tricks you need on my website, www.Aspire2Coaching.com. And we will see you next year. Three, two, one. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much again for listening and be sure to head over to aspire2coaching.com backslash podcast to check out the show notes for today's episode. There you'll find some of the links we've mentioned on today's podcast, as well as some of the previous episodes we've done. And while you're there, please make sure you sign up for show updates. I am always updating the show and bringing in bonus content. So you do not want to miss out on any of that. One last thing. If you loved this episode and you think a friend would really enjoy it as well, grab the link and share it out for me, please. It truly does help spread the word of this podcast and the topics that we discussed on our episodes. And at the end of the day, my goal is to empower as many people on their performance journey as possible. Thank you all so much again, and we'll see you next time.